Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places, on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law and asked, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. One of the things that I love about the Christmas season is the opportunity to read some of those Christmas stories to my kids. Uh, we read every year uh, the best Christmas pageant ever. Have you guys ever read that book? If you haven't, you need to read it because we read it every year and it's one of my favorite Christmas stories. And then of course we have to read several times through the month of December um, the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas. And, uh, and my kids love that one. And I love that one too, because in the end there, I think there is a beautiful picture of repentance in what happens to the Grinch. But that's a different sermon for another week. But I love, love telling the Christmas stories. Last night we were, we were in full-blown present uh, preparation mode. We were getting ready for Christmas morning. And, um, and the kids were like, you got to come read. You got to come read. You got to read. So I came up and I read the Christmas story. And then I read how the Grinch stole Christmas, because that's what you do when you're putting kids to bed in December. The story that I'm going to share with y'all this morning is a story that my grandmother used to read to my dad during the Christmas season. And then when I was born, we had a neighbor who lived down the street, just a couple houses down, who presented us with like an antique, like a first printing uh, of this story uh, as a gift upon the occasion of my birth. And so this is a very special story to me, and it's a special story to my family actually going back generations. Uh, 
This morning, I'm going to share with you the story of the other wise men. Now, we know that on the night when Jesus Christ was born, that God placed a star in the sky. And it was one of those signs to let the world know that something very, very special had happened. And there were wise men all over the world who would watch the stars for signs. And the scriptures tell us uh, about some of these wise men. And as you heard on the video just a little bit ago, you, you hear the story in, in, in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2 about the Magi from the east and how they traveled uh, to, to meet the newborn king. And the scripture tells us about the gifts that they gave the newborn king, the gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. And in fact, uh, church tradition and legend has even given those three wise men names. You might even recognize these names that have been given to these three wise men uh, that came to, uh, to Bethlehem. And, and church tradition and legend call them Melchior and Gaspar and Belfazar. But this morning, I want to tell you the story of one more wise man that you may not have heard of. The name of this wise man is Artaban. Artaban, the other wise man. See, Artaban had seen the same star in the sky. And he knew by reading the signs that God had placed in the heavens that something very special was happening in the ancient land of Israel. And he made preparations to meet with his three friends, Melchior and Gaspar and Belthazar. And together, they were going to meet together and travel by caravan across the desert to the ancient land of Israel, to Jerusalem, where they would meet the newborn king. And Melchior and Gaspar and Belthazar, they had presented their presents of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But Artaban had something very special. You see, in preparation for making this trip, Artaban had sold his home, he had sold his household, he had liquidated all of his assets to buy three precious stones. There was a sapphire that shone like the night sky. There was a ruby that was red as blood. And there was a pearl of great price. And with those three stones in his hand, Artaban set out from his home country to meet his friends. They were going to meet at the temple of the seven uh, circles, right outside the outskirts of Babylon. Artaban saddled his fastest horse, and he made the long trek to meet his friends in order to join the caravan to go and give his gifts to the newborn king. He rode across mountains and valleys and deserts all the way across the lands of ancient Persia, uh, making as fast a time as his force could possibly make in order to get there in time. For he had set the, the time with his three friends that the caravan would depart at midnight on the appointed day. And as Artaban was nearing the outskirts of the city of Babylon, his journey was nearly complete. He came upon an oasis in the middle of the desert 
and he stopped. The horse was unsettled. There was something wrong. And he looked down and he saw a man laying on the ground in the sands. And Artaban didn't think much of it. He figured that the man was dead. And, and, and quite frankly, the, the desert has a way of taking care of those who perish in the desert. But as he turned his horse to continue on his way, he heard one word, just a gasp of breath. Please, help me. And Artaban stopped and he got down off of his horse and he looked at the man. And he could tell by his dress that this was very well one of the Hebrews in exile who lived near the, the city of Babylon. And in that moment, he was torn because he wanted to continue on his way because if he didn't ride through the night and through the rest of the day, he very well missed the appointed day when the caravan would depart. And yet here was a stranger. He realized if he didn't give aid to this stranger, he wouldn't make it. So Artaban got down off of his horse and he kneeled down by the man. And he reached into his belongings and he pulled the medicines and, and, and the ointments and the, and, and the herbology that is a part of the Magi's trade and the, the knowledge of the, of the, of the, the Magi's knowledge of medicine. And he felt, the man's he felt the man's head and he realized he was burning with fever. And so Artaban spent all night long giving the man a sip of water to drink. Applying medicines and herbs until at the very last hours of the night, just, just as the sun was beginning to peek over the horizon, the man's fever broke. Thank you. God bless you, sir. And he saw Artaban's peculiar style of dress, and he said, who are you? And Artaban said, I am one of the Magi of the East, and I'm on my way to meet, uh, to meet my friends. Together, we will caravan across the desert to worship the newborn king, the newborn king that we will find in Jerusalem. And the man said, thank you, kind sir. God bless you for the kindness you've shown a stranger. I can offer only one piece of advice in return. The newborn king you're looking for will not be born in Jerusalem. Our prophets tell us that the king is to be born in Bethlehem. With that, the man slept again. Artaban put him on his own animal and walked the animal into town, into Babylon, found a place for him to lie and told the innkeeper to take care of him paid his expenses. Artaban saddled his horse and rode as fast as he could to the Temple of the Seven Circles in hopes of finding his three friends. 
but he found no caravan, no camels, and no friends because he had arrived too late. Rather, he found a note that said, we've gone to worship the newborn king. Follow us across the desert. And in despair, Artaban bowed his head. Did I lose the opportunity to worship the new king? Because I stopped long enough to show kindness to a stranger. Artaban had sold all that he had in preparation for the journey, and so he realized the only way that he would make it across the desert by himself would be to buy his own train of camels, to buy his own provisions, to hire his own servants so that he could go across to make the trek across the desert by himself. And so Artaban went into town, and he bought and he pulled that sapphire, the sapphire that shone like the night sky. And he offered that sapphire to the tradesman so that he could buy his own train of camels, his own provisions, hire his own servants, so that he could make the long trek across the desert. And so Artaban, with two jewels still to give to the newborn king, set out across the stands. He made the long trek over hills and valleys and endless sand dunes in hope to make it in time to worship the newborn king. Artaban had given one crucial piece of advice that his friends didn't know. His friends were planning on going straight to Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, because there they believed that they would find the newborn king. But Artaban had been given that one crucial piece of information. Go to Bethlehem. The prophets have foretold the king will be found in Bethlehem. And so Artaban made his way straight to Bethlehem and he made it towards, he made it towards the little town. And for fear of not causing an uproar in the little town of Bethlehem, Artaban left his caravan and his camels and his servants outside and he, and he walked in to the little town of Bethlehem by himself. But he found it an eerie, eerie quiet. Something was not right in the little town of Bethlehem. There was, there was a, a danger in the air. There was a fear in the air. The, the entire town was so very silent. There were, no, there were no one in the streets. Every door was shut. Artaban was puzzled. What was going on? Why was this town so quiet and so desolate? And, and what was going on? And so he began knocking on the doors. And he knocked on door after door. And, and he got no response. And then he peered in the window of one, one, one little house with one woman that was rocking her child. And he said, and she said to the man, please, please help me. 
And Artaban entered the house and he said, I've come to pay, I've come to worship the newborn king. Where is the newborn king? And the woman said, no. Herod's soldiers are on their way. We think they're coming to collect new taxes. And so all of the men and the boys, they've all taken the flocks and the herds and, they, and they've, they've moved them out into the hills and only the women and, women and children are still left inside here. And with Artaban, with, 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 with this newfound information, Artaban began to make plans in his mind about the next place he would look to find the newborn king when he began to hear cries from every house, cries in the street. They're killing them. They're killing the children. Artaban went to the window and he saw Herod's soldiers moving from house to house with their swords drawn, blood upon the blades. And Artaban went to the doorway of the house. His broad shoulders filled the doorway from side to side. And the tall turban upon his head almost reached the top. The soldiers came to the house, and at first they looked as if to say, stand aside, but they were taken aback by this stranger's peculiar form of dress. Artaban planted his feet and said, I am alone in this house. And he reached and he produced the ruby. The ruby red as blood. I am alone in this house and I'm willing to give this ruby to the captain who leaves me in peace. The ruby sparkled in the firelight. And the Roman soldier's eyes sparkled with the glee, with, with the greed as he looked at the ruby. And he turned to his fellow soldiers and said, there's no child here. Move along. And after they had left, Artaban closed the door and went back inside and found the woman and her child. Thank you. Thank you, kind sir. And she said in the words of the Hebrew people, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. She said, I have one word that I can offer you as thanks for saving the life of my child. There was a family. They were here just a few days ago and they fled in the middle of the night and the whispers were that they've gone into hiding in Egypt. And in despair, Artaban bowed his head. Twice now, he had a treasure to offer the new king. Twice now, he had something with which to worship the king, and he had to sacrifice it in order to save the life of another. Would he ever be forgiven from having to use that which was intended for worship for mercy instead.
fearing the soldiers. Artaban sold the camels, released the servants, set out on horseback, and made the pilgrimage to Egypt. Moving among the communities of the Hebrew peoples who lived, he went to the great cities of Alexandria. He began to go from place to place, seeking out the Jewish people. Any place where that little family from Bethlehem may have made their escape. He followed rumors. He followed, uh, he followed hunches. He went from place to place, seeking after the newborn king, but never managed to find him. He went to the great libraries of Alexandria. He went to the great synagogues of the Jewish diaspora. There was one little rabbi that gave him another crucial piece of information. The rabbi said, never again shall God's people have a king like David or Solomon. No, the king that is coming is going to be a different kind of king. And the rabbi read the scroll of Isaiah. He says, you will find this king among the meek and the lowly. And so Artaban started out on his quest, constantly seeking out the meek and the lowly. Every place he went, every place he went on his quest, trying to find a trace of the newborn king. He would go to cities that had been affected by famine. He would go to countries that had been torn by war. He would go to places that had been affected by plague. Everywhere he went, he found no one to worship, but there were always many to help. Artaban used what resources he had to feed the hungry to clothe the poor. He used his gifts and his knowledge of medicine as a magi to heal the sick. Year after year after year passed. Artaban always seeking the king, knowing that he had one gem left, the pearl of great price. But everywhere he went, he always found more who needed help. Year after year, he traveled from one side of the ancient world to the other, moving amongst mostly Jewish communities, hoping that he might find a place where that little family from Bethlehem may have hidden. Year after year, he listened for rumors about the new king, the new king of the Jews. Many years, he would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem on Passover, thinking maybe this is the year, this is the year that the king will be crowned king. But he never found a king. Three and 30 years later, Artaban's hair was as white as snow. His shoulders walked with a bit more of a stoop than they had when he was a young man, when he had set out on his quest. And he made yet again the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. At this, at this time, the quest to find the newborn king was a distant memory for Artaban. But he still had the pearl of great price. 
place. As he approached the city, he realized that the city was in an uproar. There were people everywhere. Crowds pushing in the streets, moving, all moving towards one particular place right outside the city. And Artaban asked passersby, he says, what's going on? Where are you all going? And they're saying, we're going to Golgotha. We're going to the place of execution. Haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? They're going to kill two robbers and then a third. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Hardaman says, Jesus of Nazareth, he says, yes, he was a man who worked incredible miracles. But the Romans have sentenced him to death. In fact, Pilate says he is to die because he called himself the king of the Jews. And in that moment, Artaban realized, could it be? Could it be after all of these years that I finally found the king? And in despair, Artaban bowed his head. For you see, the king had come, and yet the king had been passed out, had been cast out. And as he's pushing and shoving through the crowd, trying to get to the place of execution, Artaban had a thought. He said, I have the one jewel left. Maybe if I can get to Golgotha just in time, I can offer my final jewel to set the king free. And so he began to push and shove and ask, how? How do I get to Golgotha? Where do I get to the cross? How do I get to the cross? And as he's pushing and trying to move through the throngs of people, he hears one person call out one word. Help me. Please. And he turns and looks, and while all the crowds are moving towards the place of execution, he sees a slave trader. And a young girl. He recognizes the girl. He recognizes her peculiar form of dress. He recognizes her as one of the young women from his home country. And she says, please, sir, my father has died. Our business is ruined, and I'm being sold in order to cover his debts. And for just a moment, Artaban had to stop and pause and think twice now. I've offered up what was intended for worship in order to save the life of another. I have only the one pearl of great price left. What am I to do? I must go worship the king. Artaban stopped and he reached into his robes and he pulled out the pearl great price and he placed the pearl on the hand of the young girl and said with this pearl I've bought your freedom with this pearl I have redeemed you you're free thank you 
thank you, sir, for the kindness that you showed a stranger. And Artaban bowed his head, but this time it was not in despair. Artaban realized that he would never find the king. But he, he was resigned in knowing that he had spent his life doing the best he could. And in that moment, there was an earthquake. And the earth shook violently, and the clouds began to gather, and the sky darkened. And there was a great shaking and a rumbling from all around, and Artaban was knocked to the ground. And one of the ceiling tiles from the roof struck Artaban in the head. And the young woman saw Artaban lying there, saw the blood coming from the wound. And she thought she heard a sound, a, a voice as if it was on the wind. Words that she couldn't make out. But she looked and she saw Artaban's face. And she saw his mouth moving. And she leaned in close. And she listened to Artaban whisper these words. But Lord, when did I feed you when you were hungry? When did I clothe you when you were naked? When did I bring you water when you were thirsty? When did I visit you when you were in prison? And then the servant girl listened one more time. And this time, she heard the voice on the wind. And she could make out the words. For when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Artaban's journey was completed. His treasures accepted. The other wise man had found the king. Romans 12.1 says this. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your act of worship. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you this morning as we celebrate the birth of the King, as we go to worship the newborn King, that we would remember that he gave us the greatest gift that could ever be given, the gift of his life. And in return, that we would give him not jewels and silver or gold, but that we, like Artaban, would give him the gift of our lives. And that we would consider it an act of worship as we seek to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Christmas. 
Lord, thank you that you came, came in the flesh, became one of us so that you could live the perfect life that none of us could live, that you would die on a cross, the death that all of us deserved, so that when you rose, on the, rose from the dead on the third day, we could have new life by putting our faith and our hope and our trust in you. Lord, help us to remember that this Christmas and help us to offer ourselves as an offering. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world that is filled with bad news, but there's good news in the Bible. The good news in the Bible is that Christ Jesus came into this world, died on the cross for my sin, your sin. When they put him in a tomb, three days later, he came back to life, just as he said over and over in the New Testament that he would rise again. And when Jesus came out of the grave, he was able to beat death, to beat sin, to beat Satan, and to beat hell on your behalf and my behalf. But the Bible calls us to do something with that news, not just to hear it, not even just to say it's good, but to embrace it, to believe in it. And when you place your faith and your trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, then the Bible says you are saved. You are saved from the penalty of your sin, which is hell. You are saved from the power of sin in your life. And one day when you die, God will take you to heaven and you will be saved from the presence of sin for all of eternity. You know, our mission here at Heights is to get that good news out. We say that we want to love people and lead them to a new life with Christ. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to place your faith, your trust in Jesus, to have your sins forgiven for everything you have done that you will do in your life. Jesus can forgive you. And so the way that we communicate with God is through prayer. And just right where you are, if you're ready today to start a relationship with Christ, you can pray along with me. And let's pray together. Dear God, I know I need Jesus, and I'm ready to place my faith and trust in Him. Thank you, Lord, for saving me through the work of Jesus. Amen. You know, friend, if you've prayed that prayer today, we'd love to connect with you. You know, the Bible says the next step of faith is baptism. And baptism does not save you. That's what Jesus does. But baptism shows that you're a believer. It declares you're a believer. You know, I have a wedding ring on, on my hand here. And, and that wedding ring doesn't, you know, make me married. It shows I'm married. And that's what baptism is about in the life of the believer in Jesus Christ to proclaim that you now believe in Jesus in your life. And so we'd love to know if you've prayed along with us to start a relationship with Christ, if you need to be baptized as a believer, or if you have prayer requests. And what you can do is go to heightschurch.org connect. heightschurch.org connect. We'd love to be able to connect with you there. I want to thank you so much for watching today's message. We'd love to see you in person if you're able to make it here on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. or watch us online at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at our Heights YouTube page or our Heights Facebook page. So again, until next time, I hope you have a great week and God bless.